In a world where even the smallest disagreements can lead to arguments, violence, and even death, two brothers tackle the difficult subjects. Today we're going to be talking about free speech, specifically occurring at universities. And this was your idea. Um, so you want to talk about the uh, the event, the article that 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 gave you the the push to want to discuss this one. Um, truthfully, I've done so much research since then. I can't remember the specifics of the article. Maybe you could review it for us. It was the uh, the Stanford um reaction to the um what was it there was uh, a conservative judge uh was in, was invited to speak at, at an event um a bunch of uh students were there and they were heckling him and and uh making it general disruption a a uh, faculty the the speaker the judge asked a faculty member to um if they if she could um, intervene or or bring the situation under control, and the faculty member made some sort of comment that was somewhat uh, disparaging towards the judge, and then Stanford had released a report about that event and and the the school the university's uh, stance on that whole situation. Does that ring a bell? Yep. Yeah, and I think that type of thing has been happening. Um, you know, there's a, that's been a, a, something that's been happening at universities for quite some time. And I think it, uh, it does seem to me and to some people that it happens, well, it does happen to, I guess, uh, people from both sides of the aisle, shall we say, both, uh, conservatives and liberals, but it does seem to be happening more to conservatives. Yeah. And maybe that has something to do with, the fact that for some reason, universities have swayed pretty far left. I think they've always leaned, and, and, and I'm not talking about universities, every university, and I'm not talking about uh, university, I'm talking more about the administration and faculty, at, uh, and especially certain parts of the faculty seem to be leaning really far left. There's a lot of data that I've seen recently that um, social sciences and uh, certain faculty um, areas of expertise that they're really leaning left. And so that is kind of uh, tending towards, um, you know, they're pushing against the other side. They're not going to push against their own side. You know, one of the issues with free speech is everybody's for free speech as long as they're the ones that are doing the speaking. You know what I mean? It, the yeah. difficulty comes when many people say, well, they shouldn't be saying that, but you know, if I agree with them, then we don't have a problem with free speech. You know, It's a problem when they're saying something that, not just that we disagree with, but we, that we disagree with and we think is dangerous. And so if, if, you're, if most of the faculty and administration is leaning left, then of course, what they're gonna disagree with and think is dangerous is gonna be right-leaning things. Yeah, and, and let me start off by saying this is going to be a subject in which I will not be diametrically opposed to you on on the, the, the basic concept. Um, I do agree that there's been a general move to uh, limit limiting free speech that people tend to get recently have been um, particularly vocal about not wanting opinions that differ from their own uh, at universities. And universities do tend to be um, more left-leaning. Uh, my my un, 
uh, unscientific opinion on that is that I think that uh, people that are liberally minded tend to be drawn more towards education, whereas people that are conservatively minded tend to go more towards, let's say, um, law enforcement or, or business or something. So I, I'm not that surprised to, you know, that things are a little more liberal at the university level. But what's interesting about a lot of this canceling that's been happening at the university is that very often it's driven by the students. Um, there seem to be more motivated. Um, I did run across a database uh, and the, it's run by an organization called FIRE. And FIRE stands for uh, free, uh, no, Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression. And their database is a list of, uh, not comprehensive list, but a list of uh, um, people that have been disinvited or attempts to disinvite speakers, uh, people that are somewhat, uh, I, don't wanna, I don't know, controversial may not be the right word, um, to universities. And most of the disinvitation attempts have come from the left. The one exception where there's more people on the right that are disinviting is at religious institutions. Um, but that's a small section of the university population. Most of the people that are doing the disinviting or attempting to disinvite are left leaners. And when they when they talk about left or right, they're talking about the, the population that is trying to disinvite relative to the speaker. So the speaker could be center, but if those that are disinviting are coming from the left, then it's going to be, you know, disinvited from the left. Well, that's a funny, I, I totally agree with all of that. It was just funny when you said you picked kind of a conservative group, except, except when you look at this really conservative group, then they are disinviting people from the left. Yeah, that's true. Well, religious. Yeah. Right, but they're, they're, you picked one conservative right-leaning group and said, well, is it, you know, they are disinviting people. Yeah, I, Imagine they are. If you look just at them, then they're going to be disinviting people from the left. Um, you're saying that they're the only ones on the right that are disinviting people or the only like only what? Like more is coming from the left. And a lot of those on the right that are doing it are are religious. Is that what you A mean? large portion of the disinvitations, a very, very large portion of the disinvitations are coming from the, the left. Um, the only time I could find where at the institutions where you had a large number of of right uh, disinvitations coming from the right is when you looked at religious institutions. So if you looked at public schools, you look at secular schools, you look at religious schools, and those seem to be the three categories that I could find in, in the database. Um, in the public schools and in the secular schools, it was almost always coming from the left. And then uh, you looked at religious schools and it was it, it was coming from the right. But what's interesting is when you looked at from the public schools and secular schools, a huge number was coming from the left. When you look at the religious schools, it was more coming from the right, but not by the same degree. So they were more coming from the right, but there were still a fair number coming from the left at the religious schools as well. So mm -hmm. it is, you, I think it's fair to say that this is a, this is primarily a left problem, or at least it's occurring at, because there's a lot more left-leaning institutions, that's where the problems are occurring. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it's a, you know, there's a, that guy that, um, the founder or one of the founders of the fire organization that you were talking about, he wrote a book. It's Greg Lukianoff. And he wrote a book called, um, well, with da Jonathan Haidt, he wrote a book called uh, The Coddling of the American Mind, where they talked a lot about this um, 
phenomenon that's happening. Uh, they didn't attack it really from left or right leaning, but they talked a lot about some of their ideas as to why it would be happening. And I think you kind of alluded to it earlier, but they said, what's changed? Administrations have always been kind of against this stuff, but students were saying, no, we want free speech. We want the opportunity to have dialogue and everything else. But in recent years, uh, the students are kind of pushing back. And part of it comes from the fact that, you know, there is this idea of coddling them. There's, you know, if people get upset, then the administration is kind of trying to say, well, oh, you, you shouldn't have to suffer through this. We don't want you to have to uh, feel like you're unsafe because somebody's saying something that you disagree with. Find a safe space or we won't let them come, those types of things. It, 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 I don't know exactly how the shift has occurred, but it does seem like there is much more concern about protecting people from the idea of violent speech or, um, I don't know, just finding something that's going to trigger them or hurt them or th something like that. Yeah. Yeah, the, the uh, I, I think the safety is is a common uh, theme when people talk about this imitation, and and I think it's it's because people, as you were just saying, that 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 uh, you know it can be used as a way to try and uh, you know when people are worried about actual physical violence. Well, obviously, their safety is a concern, but now they've they've taken that that label and they've sort of broadened the concept to say, I feel unsafe because I don't like what this person is saying. So we sort of change the definition of what it means to feel safe or to feel threatened. And I think it or it originated with maybe some of the maybe, for example, um, some of the racist people that were out there um, where racists some racists might go to a degree of of uh you know turning towards violence but i don't think it's fair to say that all racists would and so someone might say well i they they could turn towards violence and so that makes me feel uncomfortable or maybe just an emotional safety that they're talking about i don't really know what they're or it's just an excuse yeah yeah i think there's <laughs> yeah it's, it's funny because yeah, the two aspects that you look at is the stress that you put on people are we're going to force people to kill themselves or to suffer depression or something else. And so we're trying to protect them from that. But I think the other side of it that you've been talking about as well is pretty interesting, this idea that we could incite people to violence. And what is really, I don't know, enough of an incitement to violence, you know, and we've had some discussions you know, you and I in the past where this has come up, you know, one that I that comes to mind is Elon Musk's comments about Yoel Roth. Um, when Yoel Roth, who was the former head of what was it, health and safety or something at at, uh, at Twitter. And then we, we were talking about, well, um, Yoel himself had said some things in 2017 about how MAGA voters, people that voted for Trump were racist and Nazis, things like that. And then Trump had uh, made some comments that some people attributed to, well, they said, well, this caused the, some threats to Yoel's safety, maybe even in his life. And so was uh, he was was Elon Musk responsible and was he more responsible because he has more of a following? So you can say some things if nobody's really listening to you, but you can say less things if somebody is listening, if there are if you have a ton of followers or a bigger platform, shall we say. 
But that is a, and, and I think that's part of what we're talking about here. And maybe we should talk about both those issues. One is, well, listen, if somebody says something that you disagree with, you know, how, how seriously should we take that? And, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of examples that we could give. Well, if we have some debate on campus or somebody comes to speak, should we allow them to speak even if it offends some of the people that some of the students on campus? But then, you know, that's different than if somebody were kind of hounding me. They Let's say they found out where I lived or followed me to work and were picketing me as if I went to work because they hated some of the things that I stood for that I had written online. Is that allowed? And then, you know, we had these uh, Supreme Court justices or politicians that people were confronting them in restaurants and telling them how terrible they were because they disagreed with their policies. I mean, all of these things, you know, there's a lot of gray area there where first we say, hey, just suck it up. I mean, don't worry about it when somebody says something bad. But then if somebody's following you around, like how much of that do we allow legally and then uh, morally or, you know, what should we it, it, do? We just disagree with people. Should we pass laws about it? I think those are where it becomes really difficult. Absolutely. And um, of course, it's not always a First Amendment issue. Um, First Amendment would only apply to public universities. Uh, but I do think that looking at the the, uh, the the First Amendment, the freedom of speech, gives us a good framework around you know what what maybe should be allowed or should not be allowed. Of course, if you're a private institution, a private university, you can do whatever you want. You make your own rules, but it does give a, a good uh, framing of the the conversation around freedom of speech. And in, in the First Amendment, there are a couple categories that are not protected speech. Obscenity, incitement, defamation, fraud, fighting words, true threats, a speech that's integral to criminal conduct and child pornography. And of course, not all of that applies to what we're talking about here, but hate speech that does not include incitement to violence, defamation, fighting words, or true threats is protected speech under the First Amendment. So I can speak nasty words about you, and as long as I don't do any fall into any of those categories, and but then if, what you're referring to is the incitement to violence versus an implied incitement to violence, um, and then there's some that'll take it a little further. Even, Go on. Well, you said versus an implied incitement to violence. I mean, some people would say, well, that's an incitement to violence, and other people would say, no, it's not. I mean, exactly. For example, yeah. you 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 had accused. Uh, and you and others, I guess, had accused Elon Musk of inciting violence against Yoel Roth. And, you know, I, I don't want to split hairs or, or you know, maybe we're, I don't want to get too focused on one particular instance of it. But it is a good example of people. He, he quoted um, from the doctoral thesis that Yoel Roth that was published published online. He quoted what he had said. So if he's quoting what he said, is that an incitement to violence? Now I looked back, and, and I don't definitely don't want to litigate this one on the podcast right now. But if you think about the words that Donald Trump said on January sixth, it's not really an incitement to violence. There, some people read it that way, though. You know, and, you know, he said certain things about like we're going to go show them, we're going to go fight, and we're going to show them uh, what it means to be brave or something like that. He never said let's go storm the Capitol, let's go break down the doors. 
So some people say, but some people read it a different way and read that speech and say, yes, that was an incitement of violence. Or when he saw that it was building up, he should have done more to reduce the violence. But that is such a tricky place to be because in all of those cases, I think you have reasonable people on both sides that are saying, yep, it was an incitement or no, it wasn't. Incitement of violence is a really, there's a lot of gray area there. For sure. Is somebody kidding? You know, sometimes, you know, there were some politicians, for example, Maxine Waters and Kamala Harris and even Joe Biden that made comments about um, the riots over, uh, I forget what year it was, 2020 or something, when uh, the Black Lives Matter riots. And they were saying, they, they, these people are upset. Of course, they're going to do, they're doing good things. They should go, or Maxine Waters said, they should go get in the politicians' faces. And, you know, and people would say, well, that's an incitement to violence. Other people say, no, that's free speech. She was just saying that they should go express themselves. You know, it's a real gray area there. And I think you could find politicians and people on on of all stripes, of all political beliefs that have said things that some people would say that was an incitement to violence. And other people would say, no, no, that was not. That was just them speaking their mind. Right. And so to, to bring all that back to un universities in particular, um, the, the Stanford situation was um, on the one hand, you know, you have a private university where they have a little more freedom, but they were saying, you know, that they they felt the students and the faculty had behaved poorly and behaved badly for their that guest speaker. And as, as you and I had briefly discussed when we decided we were going to talk about this, that, that there, ha there has been over the last couple of years a trend towards um, uh, really limiting what sort of speech was, was showing up on some of these campuses. And did you take a look at that tweet that I sent you this morning? Uh-huh, that was interesting. Yeah, so the at Wayne State University, which I assume is a public university because it's state, um, that uh, a professor there had made some pretty clear violent or uh, is it incitement to violence? It kind of sounds like it. What do you say? Uh, I think it's far more admirable to kill a racist, homophobic, or transphobic speaker than it is to shout them down. Now, I guess he isn't explicitly saying to do the thing, but he, I, but you could see if you're saying you sh if you're going to do one, maybe do the other instead, which is pretty pretty strong. And so then, the the university. Um, gave the information to the local law enforcement, and then the, I guess the university is waiting to see how the law, law enforcement reacts before the university decides how they're going to react to it. But that's a public university, and a public university has is more, uh, I guess, should be um, more strictly following the First Amendment guidelines than yeah. a private one. Yeah, that's a difficult thing because, I mean, a private university, there's all these um conflicting incentives or motivations or something like that because even at a public yeah a public university you have you still have to represent the university so it's not as if oh i work at a public university so i can say whatever i want and do they you know does the public university say well if we have a professor who's a nazi are we going to allow that i mean on the one hand you and what becomes so difficult too is you know many times they at a university, you do want, how would you say this, differing viewpoints. You you want a heterogeneous faculty, administration, to some degree, um, to where you can have people that espouse different viewpoints. So people just don't go to a university and get only one way of looking at the world. I think it's really healthy to look at 
things from different perspectives. But yeah, that one, that, that's a difficult place for them to be. For him to say it's admirable to kill a racist, a homophobic, a racist, homophobic or transphobic speaker. I mean, yeah, that to me steps over the line. I don't care if it's a public university or private. I, I, I think that guy should be, uh, it, it, if not suspended or fired, at least, you know, severely reprimanded. It does sound like an incitement to violence to me. Yeah. Yeah, I would. I would agree with that one. Um, I would agree. But I mean, that's a that's an extreme case. I think what I have more problems with is. uh, Is when, yeah, this shouting down, like the first article that we looked at where they had this uh, a conservative judge, a judge coming and instead of letting him talk and then disputing it or having another speaker come and refute some of his points or have some sort of a rebuttal people shouting him down and the administrators taking part in that and encouraging them to not let him speak that was more surprising to me i don't i think there's probably less incitement to violence of the kind that this guy and maybe he wasn't even really thinking about what he said i mean geez is he really willing to go out and kill people that he disagrees with (laughs) i mean sometimes people just say stuff I would hope he's not like uh, figuring out ways to try to kill those speakers. He he certainly hasn't killed anybody yet. So it may just be as far as we know, but it may just be talk. He's just talking big, you know, like people on the basketball court talking big. And then the second that somebody wants to fight, like, whoa, 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 we're just playing a game here. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but uh, but I I think there's probably fewer people calling for for uh, murders. Then there are people that are in these universities restricting the free flow of ideas and information. And that's I, that's what is d- disturbing is that we are getting to the point where we can't have this open discussion. Yeah. And, and I think you brought up a really good point, which is that the universities are really should be trying to expose people to as much information, so as many differing views as possible. And especially for a university that claims to be a liberal art university, because one of the things that they will require is that you must take courses from a broad range of classes because they feel that that, that a well-rounded student is, is or the, a, a, well, a well-rounded student is the goal. And so if you're gonna require people to take a psychology class and a sociology class and a math class and a science class, why are you not requiring them to also be exposed to liberal viewpoints and conservative viewpoints and maybe even viewpoints you disagree with, maybe viewpoints you strongly disagree with, and to be able to quietly hear those points without just trying to drown out the speaker? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, and I think there's a number of, of, you know, the benefits that come from that are just so, there's so many of them. First of all, if you spend your whole life thinking one way about things, you know, later on in life, you're not prepared to uh, defend that viewpoint. You might be more easily swayed because, oh, there are people that think a different way. You know, it would uh, allow people to further strengthen their own points of view, the way they think about things, because they've thought about it from all viewpoints. I think it also helps people to be more accepting of others because you see, well, oh, there are reasonable people. Uh, that think in ways that are different from me. And uh, they make some good points that sometimes, you know, it's not so cut and dried as we, as we, if we only see one way, if if we only have, see one point of view, we don't realize, well, you know, maybe my argument is weak in some areas, or I should be more accepting of 
of exceptions to the rule, those types of things. So uh, I, I think it's, you know, it allows people to be more prepared um, for a society where they can accept even those people that disagree with them. Like if we look at where we are now, people on the right are so angry and, and hateful towards people on the left and vice versa. You know, maybe if we could um, have some of, some of these differing viewpoints, we could see that, man, we're all pretty similar. And maybe we see things differently, but who knows who's right many times, you know, that probably sometimes you're right and so probably sometimes I am. And, and we should be more, that would probably breed some humility in all of this discourse. Yeah, and I, I do think that anytime you're hearing someone else's opinion, you, you should try and put your own opinion aside and hear it with a, with a, an open mind. In a perfect world, that's what happened. Most of us are really listening to someone else's opinion and trying to figure out which of my opinions is going to be able to undermine that opinion. So e even if these students at the universities are hearing someone they disagree with, at the very least, listen in order to sharpen your own opinion. And at the very best, actually be receptive to what, what the opinions that you're, you're hearing, because you might actually learn something and, 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 you know, it could be a value to you. Yeah. I agree with, with, uh, pretty much everything that you said. I think, I think there's not enough willingness to be around people that we disagree with, which seems like we've gotten to a state lately where if we disagree, I can't associate with you in any way whatsoever. Now, I can understand that too <clears throat> in the extreme. You know, if, if you know, I, I, I'm not saying that, you know, a Jewish person should, should go out and, you know, live friendly with, with an anti an aggressive anti Semite um, side by side, you know, without any fences or anything like that. But outside of those extremes, I really think that we, we have gotten to the point where minor differences are now reasons to, uh, disassociate with people. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, that idea that, um, speech can be violence. Yeah. I, I disagree with that pretty much. I mean, I guess, you know, I would disagree certainly in the way that it's, that it's, uh, it, that people enforce that now. So, for example, somebody coming to speak and then people shouting him, shouting him or her down, so they don't get a chance to present their point of view, I think is wrong. In in the university, I think there could be times where, hey, you just may, you know, the university could step in and say, listen, you can't just be hounding this. If, if there's a particular student that they disagree with, they're just following him around and um, harassing him. Harassment is different than um, accepting other viewpoints or allowing them uh, a platform, even. I think all, almost all viewpoints should be allowed on these universities. Um, and maybe that's a good di di uh, way to distinguish between what is allowed and what isn't. If it's harassment, meaning you're just not leaving somebody alone or not allowing somebody to speak, that should not be allowed. But um, allowing somebody to, to, to espouse a viewpoint or propose, you know, to, uh, speak on a viewpoint that you disagree with and that even that you even that you consider hateful is not a good enough reason to uh censor somebody or not allow them uh their chance to speak yeah and and to, and to go back to a point that I'd made earlier um but kind of fleshing it out a little bit you know if we t if we use racism as an example there are racists that of course are hoping and looking for reasons to, you know, 
impose violence on other people. And then from that extreme level, there are degrees of racism. And, and you know, it, it goes, you know, to just, you know, I, number one, I want to say I, I, I disagree with all racism. I think all racism is bad. Got to get that out there. But at the <laughs> same time, there there are degrees of racism that are not as strong, that are there's not uh, uh, an impending violence within a, a you know someone's racist perspective. Um, and and so I don't think having a racist view is necessarily an incitement to violence. Go back to the you know the First Amendment. The, you know there there is no threat in racism in and of itself. There can be, but it's not intrinsic. It's not within the the racist belief. And with any other uh, speech that is. Uh, any other any other imposed stereotype, any other belief that's about a particular people. If if I have the belief that, and I don't, if I have the belief that 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 women should only be you know in the house, that they shouldn't be out working, that is not a violent belief. Now, some women may feel that that's that's that that's puts restraint on them, but my belief doesn't. If I somehow act in a way where I impose that belief, then there is an action, but the word itself is not actionable. Yeah, Brian, I was reading in preparation for this, I read about a bit about the ACLU and they seem to have changed course in the last few years. But in the 70s, they um, they caught a, the attention of a lot of people and, they, and a lot of people were very angry with them because they defended the right of the neo-Nazi party to um, uh, pro, to I guess, protest or um, to uh, have an exhibition in Skokie, Illinois. And um, and one of the reasons that they uh, fought for them was because they said, well, listen, even if we disagree with somebody's viewpoint, they still need to be allowed to espouse that viewpoint to, uh, you know, to speak about it, to um, uh, to put it out there if they want to. And what had happened was, um, and what, this is what makes it so interesting is the, um, uh, sorry, I'm just looking something up, but the, uh, the, the Nazi party had gone to try to, um, uh, um, to, uh, what would you call it? Not protest, but they, they put on a, to march or whatever on this, uh, particular park in, in Illinois. And, uh, you know, the county came back and said, well, you need to get a permit. And in order to have the permit, you need a $250,000 bond. And they didn't have, they're just a small organization. And there was another civil rights organization at the same time was trying to do the same thing. So it said, at first they both were, were marching in the park and then they started to get really upset with each other. The police often had to be called and they said, we're tired of dealing with this. Okay, you both need a $250,000 bond. Well, uh, they both went to the ACLU and said, well, first, the civil rights people went to the ACLU and said, hey, could you help us with this? Oh, of course. Yep. This is what we used to do in the South to make sure that people could vote or could uh, march for civil rights for black people. And uh, so they said, yep, of course, we'll take it. It will take it all the way to the Supreme Court if we if we need to. And then the Nazi party came and, and they said the same thing. And they're like, well, we're already doing that. And you can't be added to the to the. Um, to the same case, we're not going to do two cases, so just don't worry about it. We're taking care of it. But then the Nazi Party 
said that they wanted to uh, go all throughout Illinois doing this, marching. And there was one town that came back and said, nope, we don't want you to be here because they had a number of Holocaust survivors. <laughs> and they were like, this is going to be too painful to the Holocaust survivors. So they uh, they said they were going to go into Skokie. Of course, that kind of triggered them. And they said, yep, OK, we're going to Skokie. We're going to Skokie where these Holocaust survivors are because they don't want us there. And then they had to take the case to the ACLU. The ACLU, ACLU took it and said, yep, everybody has the right to do this because if everybody doesn't have the right to do it, then people fighting for civil liberties don't have the right to do it in the same way that we protect it so that if we have a problem with black people being allowed to vote or to ride on buses or whatever else, we have to make sure that that right to at least march or uh, speak about these things is allowed for everybody. That right is too important. So we have to protect the rights of the neo-Nazis to do this, just like we protect the rights of the civil liberties people to do it. I, I think that's awesome that the, that the ACLU in, in the day would go out and defend the right of the Nazis to be able to march. Um, wouldn't it be amazing if they would do that today? Uh, I, I can't imagine it, though. Maybe, they, maybe they'd surprise us. <laughs> Yeah, that's an interesting way to put it. It's awesome that they would defend the rights of the Nazis. Just the fact that they would defend the right of all of us, like that right is a universal right in our country because of uh, because of the First Amendment. It's not awesome. I think they probably, it's not awesome in the sense that they probably hated that they had to do it. Mm -hmm. And we all probably hate that they have to do it. But we look at the bigger picture and say, we have to protect that right, even for those viewpoints that are so objectionable like the neo-Nazis platform. We have to protect that even for them because that protects it for all of us. Because we don't know when we're gonna be the minority. We can't just say, well, I disagree with what they say, so I don't want them to say it. They can say whatever they want. Now, if they're harassing people, we can put some rules in place about that, but they have the right to speak in public places and say what they want. Yeah. And, you know, it's no one's going to have an argument about whether Mother Teresa should be able to to go and, and you know, speak in public or, you know, some some great humanitarian leader, Taylor Swift. Not, not I'm, I'm not saying those two are the same. I'm, I'm not saying great humanitarian le leader like Taylor Swift, I'm saying great humanitarian <laughs> leader or Taylor Swift. No one, no one's going to have a real, what's and or. <laughs> yeah, no, no one's going to have a real problem with that. But where where it challenges us is really where we need to look at and decide what are the rules that that it, does a rule apply to people we like and people we don't like or just the people we like. You know, and, and, and the, the important rules are universal. They apply every, to everybody. Yeah, and, and and maybe a good rule of thumb, this is kind of what I took from uh, the guy that was leading the ACLU all those years um, when they were fighting in, in Illinois and other places. A good rule of thumb is, you know, many times we say, well, I, I, this we shouldn't allow this person to speak here, be, and they have this viewpoint. Well, then spin it around and say, well, what if we were restricting my right to take the opposing viewpoint? So if we're talking about, you know, gay marriage or civil rights or whatever, if somebody's coming and they and, and we disagree with them because they're talking about trans rights and they, you know, we think that's hate speech against trans rights or something. Well, just remember, if we try to restrict them from speaking, what if somebody restricted me from having my viewpoint, which is the opposing viewpoint to that? OK, right. well, then we've got to let them have their say. Yeah. And of course, as we said in the beginning, there are special rules when you have a private institution in the same way a business, a business is not um, beholden to the First Amendment it's, it, because it's privately owned. And so 
the rules that might apply publicly don't always apply privately. And it's also important that people recognize the difference between the two. The First Amendment can be a good guideline in certain situations, but it doesn't apply. The, the First Amendment applies to the government limiting or supporting speech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I, and, and different businesses should handle that differently. You know, I mean, I yeah. think uh, and you and I have talked about this before. If you're if you're talking about a restaurant, well, listen, let's not come here and have people at the different tables arguing about politics. Like, just keep it to yourself. Or we're going to have to ask you to leave. But if we're at a university, there's that's probably a place where people should be talking about these things. But there's a time and a place even at the university, as long as it's applied fairly and equally. Yeah. And then social media. Well, that's an open platform. You can block people if you want. And we're not going to have incitement to violence or hate speech. I do, you know, I think Twitter and all these, other, you know, Facebook and everybody have their rules in place. And they should tend more than other places towards having an open, an opportunity. It's an open forum where there's an opportunity where people, even if we disagree with them, can propose, can put forth their viewpoints. We can block them and not listen to them. That's fine. Or we cannot go to the speech, whatever. But social media should be a place where more than not, we should be allowing, it should be closer to the government's in, impl- uh, implementation of uh, the First Amendment than other places. Now we're still going to, you know, it's not the same thing. They're not they're not the federal government, but, because, and they do want to keep people safe or whatever, but so they can restrict more than maybe other places would, but the, it should be closer to an open forum than some of these other situations. For sure. And so we're going to leave it there because we're, we're out of time. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought we had a little more disagreement. I knew we'd, we'd be somewhat aligned, but a little bit more. Next week, we're going to talk about banning. We're going to stick with the freedom of speech or concept and talk about the banning of uh, books and other material, um, libraries and schools. Um, okay. So be prepared. Uh, All right. It's gone. That's good. Talk to you later. See ya. We hope you learned something in this episode of Brother vs. Brother, a podcast about difficult conversations. We also hope that you enjoyed it enough to subscribe to the podcast. You can help us by spreading the word. Share this episode on your favorite social media so that others will have an opportunity to experience it as well. You can also support us by donating through Patreon. This information and more can be found on our website, broconvo.com, and on our various social media accounts. Thank you.